Welcome to the Author's Porch, where every good conversation happens. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride from author to author. We want to give you an experience where you learn and enjoy the conversation. Authors tell you about their journey, you learn about new books, and at the end of the day, you go home with a smile on your face because the Author's Porch is a beacon of light bringing you home to the family you never knew you had. We hope that you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Author's Sports, where every great conversation happens. We're super stoked to have Dr. Randy Overbeck on the show with us tonight. How are you doing, Randy? I am doing great. It's a beautiful evening here in Ohio. You know, I am a Midwest girl um, by birth, so I do miss the fall leaves and the good weather. <laughs> Absolutely breathtakingly beautiful here right now. Just oh. out my out my office window where I get to write, it's like a riot of colors outside. Beautiful. I bet you get a lot of inspiration from that. I do. It's a really, it's, I'm very blessed. It's a very great place to sit and create. Uh, I'm so jealous. Well, before I get too jealous and get nostalgic and sit here and want to take a nap, <laughs> I'm going to introduce the audience to you because you guys are going to be excited to hear more from Dr. Overbeck because it's, I read his bio and I was like, really, there's people out there doing all this amazing stuff. I'm so jealous, even not only just because of the great weather, but because I wish I had a background like this. So Dr. Randy Overbeck is an award-winning educator, author, and speaker. As an educator, he served for over three decades. Imagine serving children for over three decades decades. But the thing is, he didn't stop there. He turned his experience into captivating fiction and authored a best-selling series, The Haunted Shores Mysteries, which won nine national awards. Like, wow, guys. And we're going to talk about so much more because he's got some wonderful things coming down the pipes that we're going to talk about tonight. Randy, like one, three decades? Yeah, actually, all, close to four decades, almost four decades. I, uh, I was a teacher, a, a school leader, a college professor. Wow. In fact, I ran school districts for 28 years, so four different districts. Really? Very so when you went to college, excuse me, when, when you went to college, was that your dream or did you dream of something else? I actually, uh, when I was a teenager, my original dream was to be a writer, but somewhere around my senior year and when I was starting college, the bug bit me about serving children. And I really, at that point, I didn't want to do anything beyond just teach. Oh. I had been blessed to have a couple of really good teachers and I was inspired by them. And I thought then, I think now that teachers can make a very real difference in children's lives. That's what I wanted to do. And so that's what I dedicated uh, almost four decades to doing. 
I agree with you because it was a teacher that changed my life in middle school, and it's why I'm writing today, and it's why I'm sitting here with you today. Um, I did get lost along the way at some point, but it was the military that put me back on my path, so I'm thankful. But it was a teacher that made me not lose everything. So thank you for all the things you did because I can guarantee there's some kids out there that their lives were saved and changed because of what you did in your role as an educator. Are there any moments that you could pick out particularly as an educator that kind of transformed your life as a writer or kind of when you switched into writing that you want to bring up and say, you know, this kind of changed what I thought about writing later on in life? Well, as I mentioned, you know, when I was a teenager, I had the dream of writing the great American novel. I thought I was going to be a, a, the next Hemingway or Steinbeck or whatever. Right, yeah. And then reality intruded. And, and I'm not at all unhappy that I dedicated my life to children, but I never lost sight of that dream. I never lost sight of my desire uh, and my grandchildren, my children and grandchildren would tell you that I, I like to tell stories anyway. And I thought, well, so what I've done is I've tried to learn, absorb the experiences I've had. I've had the pleasure to work with thousands of school staff, secretaries, teachers, custodians, board members, uh, and then literally hundreds of thousands of kids over 40 years. And I learned a lot along the way, enough to be able to, uh, to I think, create very credible fiction, fiction that people could relate to and go, I had a teacher like that, or I remember kids that were like that, and then mm -hmm. use that as a springboard to tell important stories. Yeah. You know, I get people that say, you know, you tell a story, like you can't just tell what happened. You've got to tell a whole tale. Do people tell you that? Do you tell tales like these big elaborate, they're like, I I, I do tell that. I will be very honest. Brevity has never been one of my strengths. <laughs> Storytelling or much of any other kind of explanation. So, yes, I've been accused of similar uh, frailties, no, without a doubt. But I bet that's the beauty of your books, though. I bet when, when they sit down and read your books, they're very thankful because I bet it becomes this tale that they just are super captivated by. I've been, I've been so thrilled with the response that, uh, my, that my books have gotten. I will share with you, this is one of my favorites. Uh, I often talk to people who, you know, I, I do a lot of speaking engagements as you had mentioned, and I often talk to them. And when I explain to, to my readers, my audiences, that this is not a money-making thing. I, I, I'm, I'm not in this to make money. I don't, I, I'm lucky if I break even. Yeah. So they're often, they're, one of the questions they ask is, well, why do you do this? And, and I relate this very true story. I was at one of these events, and a, a gentleman I didn't know came up to me and said, I'm really mad at you. I'm going, <laughs> What did I do this time? He said, you cost me an entire night's sleep. Do you know that? I opened the first chapter of your book. I'm only going to read one chapter. He said, I couldn't stop the whole night. That's why I write, for, for, to, to be able to get that kind of response uh, that's worth all the, all the pain and all the hours you put into it. So I have a couple of times written a book review and said that to an author. And I have. I have paced the floors. 
in my nightgown. And my husband has woke up at two or three in the morning going, what are you doing? Because I'm holding my phone because a lot of times it's it's an ebook because yes. I, I'm a, I try to be a minimalist. I'm not that great of a minimalist, obviously, because I have books on my bookshelf. But I'm pacing the floors and he's like, what is happening? And I'm going, I, I, I got to find out what happens. So I have to know. What book was it that he was talking about? Because I might have to go and grab it. And I think our listeners are going to need to grab it too. <laughs> oh, I, I, this was actually the comment about the first book in the in my series about the Haunted Shore Mysteries. It's called Blood on the Chesapeake. Blood and on the Chesapeake. Blood on the Chesapeake. It takes place on the eastern shore of the Chesapeake Bay. So it's okay. a very, and it's a story about um, schools and about, High school and about uh, racial injustice and small town discrimination. It's a very, it's a very intriguing story. I think, uh, I think readers will, readers have enjoyed it. Uh, it became the number, a number one bestseller on Amazon and Barnes and Noble already. So I, I, it's, and it's the first in the series. So and then once you get that, you'll be hooked for the other two in the, in the series as well. And that's part of the Haunted Shore Mysteries? That, that is the first entry in the Haunted Shore Mystery series, yes. Okay, Blood on the Chesapeake, everybody. Go and get it. It's going to keep you up at night because you're going to need to know what's going on. But, listen, if a reader has that type of reaction, that's a book you need to get. Okay, so you're also a popular podcast host as well. You have a podcast, Correct. I do. Uh, last year I started, I had, I, I listen, I've listened to a number of podcasts. I'd never found anyone like this. And I thought, you know, I think this is a, this is a, a good, it's what, what I tell my, uh, what I tell my audiences is most of them are, if they are not too young, they remember a radio show called Par Harvey and the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. And, and if you are over a certain age, everybody in the audience starts nodding when they heard that. And <laughs> Paul, what he did was he, took kind of neat little historical instances and then would tell you the background behind it. So what I've done in my podcast, which are all about 10 to 12 minutes long, is talk about famous authors, directors, and poets that people know. But I I end the podcast with an interesting thing, interesting part of their life that they've never heard of. You know, that uh, an interesting thing about how John Grisham got started or the really intriguing early life of, of, J.K. Rowling that hardly anybody knows about, about what happened to this woman before she became the incredible billionaire writer of Harry Potter and all kinds of things. The fact that Agatha Christie was actually, um, there was a big murder plot involving her or a missing plot involving her. And uh, Lewis, uh, a, a very famous historical fiction writer was actually convicted of murder when she was younger. So all kinds of things that readers listen to my latest podcast this month that just dropped this month is about Alfred Hitchcock. And I Um, tell a story about what happened to in his early life that caused him to be such an incredible master of suspense and horror. So it's a, it's a fun podcast. It's all, they're all very short. I do classic authors like Mark Twain. uh I do current best-selling authors. I do romance. I do poetry. It's kind of a little bit of everything. And I have a lot of fun doing it. It's a lot of work. As you well know, podcasts are not easy. Not just yeah. fingers is done, but uh, but I really enjoy doing it. 
It sounds fascinating. I mean, that, that's stuff that you don't get to hear about, right? Because back in those, the days that some of those authors were around, there was no social media. So how did you get to know about them? So those are stories, like when you were talking about Agatha Christie and Alfred Hitchcock, I was like, oh, okay, I need to go listen to those episodes. So it's called Great Stories and Great Storytellers, correct? Great Stories About Great Storytellers. About Great Storytellers. Okay. So guys, go check out Great Stories About Great Storytellers by Dr. Randy Overbeck because you want to go and listen. That sounds fascinating. I probably might listen to that in my headphones. I might end up falling asleep because, you know, I, I do that, but then I'll wake up and replay it i do that a lot too i fall asleep to bones almost every single night the tv show and then i'll replay an episode you know that's how i do fascinating but you have a book coming out very soon correct just this week as my last week as a matter of fact oh tell us more it's the start of a new series also (gasps) set in schools the series is called lessons in peril um this is very different from the first set of series. So the first series are all paranormal mysteries. They are, to quote the first reviewer, a cold case murder mystery wrapped in a ghost story served with a side of romance set in a stunning resort location. That's the first set of books. Uh, these new, the new series are a bit more, um, a bit darker, a bit more serious. Uh-huh. Uh, the cool lessons uh, involves, uh, as, as their protagonist, I have two heroes. I, I tell my audiences all the time, all my heroes have always been teachers. So when I decided to write fiction, I was going to make, if I'm going to write fiction, I'm going to write make the heroes of my fiction teachers. In this case, it's a, a, a assistant superintendent, school administrator, and a fourth grade teacher are the heroes in this particular story. And in this story, uh, which incidentally takes place in 1995, I have reasons for that. It's not just because they don't use cell phones, everybody. It's not the reason. (laughs) It Um, was a great year, though. That's the year I graduated high school. So I love that year. Well, you will be able to relate to this perfectly. So in 1995, uh, a group of very young middle school kids, uh, fifth graders, get a hold of a rogue hallucinogenic drug, experiment with the drug, steal a car, go on a joyride, and die in this horrific crash in this small town. And the town is so, so grieved. Is, is, is experiencing such grief, they demand action. They, they want they want somebody somebody to pay. So the school district works with the police to try to work together to find out who's pushing drugs in the schools. And the, the story is all about how the how this how uh, how adults are are victimizing these kids, and and how those the heroes come together to kind of figure out how to stop it. So the hero of the story, Ken Parks. Uh-huh. Uh, who is the assistant superintendent, works with the D.A.R.E. officer in the school building. Oh, uh, D.A.R.E. And they work behind the scenes because there's a conspiracy going on uh, that they have to work their way around. One of the things that's very different about this is that all, all of the people, good, good, all the good guys and all the bad guys, mm. forgive my, uh, uh, my uh, sexism, all the good guys and all the bad guys are all school people. So... The bad guys are school people. The good guys are school people. And part of the fun the readers have is trying to figure out who's who. Yeah. Uh, early reviewers have said that uh, one of the reviewers said that they made up their mind three different times who the bad guy was and each time was wrong. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, when, when I read 
a mystery and I just know who it is and then I'm bamboozled at the end. I sit there and I just and a lot of times my poor husband, right? Because I'm telling him about half yeah. of the story and he's just sitting there like what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, you just don't understand. And then I'm like, I need to find someone who's read this book because I've got to talk about these people. Like they're real humans that have like real life stories outside the book. That's fascinating. I love when that happens. Wow. And I'm going against the grain because these are middle-aged people. Both the both the, uh, the teacher, the fourth grade teacher and the administrator are on their 40s. So they're not yeah. kind of typical 20 year old, you know, right. Hero, which my, which in the first book, that's what they are. But yeah. I, I did that on purpose. I was trying to go against the grain, even though it still carries the other hallmarks that mine are known for right. set in schools, making teachers uh, out as heroes and always having some important issue that, that is behind the crime, the, the, the mere, the minor crime that they're trying to solve. There's always a bigger issue behind that, which is one of the things that I pride my books on having. Now, is this a genre that has always spoke to you or is it something that you just felt uh, gravitated towards for a specific reason? Well, I think, first of all, I need to tell you that I'm a very eclectic reader. I read all kinds of things. I I do read lots of of mystery, um, including um, amateur sleuth mystery and, and as well as detective mystery. I do read, I read a lot of thrillers, but I also read uh, one of my, some of my favorite reads are historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I even read some science fiction. I, I, I even read some rom-com, you know, it just kind of depends on, yeah. depends on my mood. And uh, I've even known to appreciate some chick lick from time to time. Yeah. So, um, so what, what I did, what I choose to write about tends to be what's driven by the story. So my first book out, which was out 10 years ago, that won a national award for thriller of the year is, is actually a thriller. It's a very scary story mm-hmm. about a, um, it's about a um, terrorist cell that, uh, that enters and, co- and takes over a high school. And then the oh. teacher, a high school English teacher and a, a somebody who's a volunteer or happens to be a Navy SEAL figure out a way to defeat the terrorist cell that's invades their building at some a great cost. But so, oh. That I, because I at that point I was drawn to, to uh, mysteries. I like doing the paranormal mystery. It's kind of that I was really enjoying that for the first three. This is an amateur sleuth mystery. I can yeah. tell you that I am nearly finished, about a month away from finishing my next reading, uh, which is actually a historical suspense about the Revolutionary War. So as I can say, I'm very eclectic <laughs> in terms of what I'm writing. I love that. I, I find it fascinating when people can switch genres. Um, I write multiple genres, um, good or bad. I enjoy it. I I love switching up because for me, I pick up what is written good. Yeah, it, it is a challenge. You know, it, yeah. Writing the history, historical fiction is very, very different than writing an amateur sleuth mystery. Um, Then the research is very heavy in the history one, which is not as much, but all of my books have have been exceptionally, essentially uh, researched. Just, I spend a lot of time making sure that I get the details as perfect as I can. And so I know one of the things, you're not just a writer and a podcaster. You take that educating 
the educator part of you, and you brought that into the writing world as well. You're a member of the Mystery Writers of America. You're an active member, and you work within the critique groups. Can you tell us more about that and how you help people mentor um, emerging writers and work within the conferences? Um, I see here that you do Sleuth Fest, Killer Nashville, Midwest uh, Writers Workshops. Can you, help, uh, can you tell us what it feels like to help other writers kind of realize some of their dreams? Well, I, I can tell you uh, that I'm very, very grateful to have that opportunity because uh, uh, that kind of helping hand was extended to me when I was just starting off. And I was, I, I, I was frankly amazed at the camaraderie that the of the unselfishness of the um, of the willingness to help of even very famous very best-selling authors that I I've met befriended and uh, and have come to know so it became really important for me to be able to try to extend that same kind of help along I do panels at some of the writing conferences um, I do in the writing critique group we have a writing critique group which has uh, about a half a dozen writers that are everything from not yet published to indie published to kind of working on being published to I'm probably have the most of any of the ones and, and all of us contribute something. And I think that's really important to give back. It's also part of who I am. You know, I've always been a teacher anyway, that's just kind of in my DNA from 40 plus years of working with kids. So, yeah. It, it's just one more thing that I, one more way that I can figure that I can give back, which is important to me. Yeah, I, I love that because you started out, you wanted to write, and then somewhere along the way, you realized you wanted to give back. But then you did that for almost 40 years, and then you started to write, and then as you're writing, you're still giving back. It's like the servant leader in you just is intertwined in your soul and who you are. Thank you for that because in the author community, what I found when I started, I, I started in 2018 after I retired, um, it's, it's a beautiful world and it stays that way because of people like you who are willing to keep it open and keep it beautiful and keep it going and give back based off of their worldly experiences so thank you for that well and i and i'm just kind of uh paying it forward the way it was paid to me if if people grab in my first book the, the first of the series blood on chesapeake and they open that up they'll notice that i i was thrilled to have three blurbs from three best-selling authors in the very front wow. of the book so william kent kruger who's a best-selling mystery writer from northern minnesota um uh, um, James Ben, who writes incredible historical, he writes something I've never heard anybody else do. He writes mysteries mm -hmm. set in World War II of a character that moves all around the historic the theater, and they're and they're actually real things happening. Like one of them was about Kennedy and PT one hundred nine, for example. Um, but he writes a, a fictional mystery, so he did one for for me, and the other one was from. Um, Hank Philippi Ryan, who is a famous author out of Boston. Um, so those people helped wow. me get my start. So I'm more than happy to try to see what I can do to help somebody else move along. Wow. Love that. And when is the new book coming out? The new book is just out now. Oh, so wow. 
in this month. Well, I know this is going to be sent later, but it was released October of 23. Uh, okay. And it's available in um, ebook and print. An audiobook is on the way. And that is through Wild Rose Press. Is that correct? Wild Rose Press. That's correct. The same company that published the, the trilogy before that in The Haunted Shore Mysteries. Okay, and everybody can get that on all the major platforms. And also your author website is authorrandyoverbeck.com, correct? Correct. They can go and check you out there. Um, they can get your novels, your programs, your podcasts, everything that they want to. But before, when we were in the green room, before we came on, you had something fascinating that you were doing a collaboration with that you wanted to tell us all about. You want to tell us some more about that? Yeah. I, one of the things that's very important in my writing that I feel is important uh, is to, to uh, inform readers as well as educate them, as well as entertain them, as well as uh, so they have something to enjoy and something to. So each of my books carry an important message. So the uh, Blood on the Chesapeake carried a message about racial injustice. Um, Crimson and Kate May talked about the, the, the horrors of human trafficking. And the third book, uh, um, Scarlet and Crystal River, is about the abuse of migrant workers in the South. My newest book, Cruel Lessons, is about the horrible scourge uh, that's affecting the country about youth drug, the drug abuse of youth, youth experimenting with drugs which can kill them when they take one pill now. Mm, yeah. Um, and I and that's really important to me. And I wanted to try to get that word out, even though I'm using it in an allegorical way. But I looked for a partner that I could probably help convey this message. And just this week, um, myself and this book, Cruel Lessons, is partnering with a, a national organization called Natural High. Wow. Natural High uses evidence-based uh, research to create resources for parents and teachers to talk to kids about drugs in this very difficult task of middle school and high school uh, when the kids are most vulnerable for, for, for those kinds of wrong messages. And I'm really, in fact, that's, I feel so important about their goal is that I'm donating a portion of the sale of every, uh, every copy of the book to Natural High. And since they're listening to this, it's real simple. It's just naturalhigh.org. They can check it out. Or there will be a link on my website later on. Or by the time this views, there will be a link on my website, where the, which will take them directly to Natural High. I love that. That is so important. I... I grew up in the inner city of Indianapolis, Indiana for the second half of my life from age 10 to age 19, where I left at age 19. Um, what I call it escaped. My sister um, actually suffered from, um, she was addicted to drugs for over 25 years. And then I, I left because of that reason, because I couldn't, I couldn't watch her and my family continue to go down this road and I needed to make sure that I survived. So I left, I joined the military. Um, so I know firsthand and I continue to watch my family members get uh, addicted to, to drugs and they continue to struggle. My sister is clean now. I'm very excited about that. And we wrote her recovery story. Um, but I do have other family members who are um, gripped in the throes of addiction. So I I really pray that a lot of people um, go to that link. Can you tell us the link one more time? Yeah, it's naturalhigh.org. 
I hope people go to that, go and buy the book as well and um, find a way to get the help. Uh, it is a disease. It, it's not something that people choose. It, it is something that is a scourge on our country that is happening. And I hope that people find a way to overcome addiction. It is, it's a horrible disease that people are afflicted with. So thank you so much for doing that. I find it um, very sad that, that our country is facing this right now and that children as small as infants are being um, dosed. Yeah. 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 Thank you for that word. So Dr. Overbeck, Randy, I've had such an enlightening conversation with you and I've got to go and grab that book so I can pace and make my husband wonder at 2.30 in the morning, what am I doing on my phone? Because that's what's going to happen. I love sleuth books. It's funny, um, a story. My father rode with me uh, from Missouri to Iowa for my son's graduation and I had an audio book going in the car because we were driving. I couldn't obviously read my book. And we were listening to him, uh, a mystery, a sleuth book. And, um, and he was a little grumpy about the ride. And I said, Dad, how are you doing? And he was like, I don't know. I'm in the middle of nowhere driving down the road in this big vehicle that looks like a panel van with this pink haired lady that's listening to a murder book. How do you think I'm doing? So <laughs> I'm with you. I, I always am listening to a book on tape. Well, I used to I'd say on tape, now it's on digital, but yeah. Yeah, so so it's absolutely absolutely one of those things now that I just my my father passed away this past May. So now every time I have an opportunity to listen to another sleuth book, that's kind of my thing now that brings me closer to him. So I hope that everyone goes and enjoys your books. But I want to make sure that we give you an opportunity. Is there anything that we didn't discuss during this time that we want to make sure we hit on? Because I think that you have a fascinating career in education turned to fiction writing turn to teaching people and helping them discover their dreams within the world of literature as well. And I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and share my story with your listeners. I'm, I'm hoping uh, I've enlightened a few of them and uh, they have an interest. Um, you know, I, I, one of the things that sets mine different, my, my story is different because there are millions of books for readers to choose is that it's all about uh, teachers and teachers are motivated by what's best for kids. So th- that's kind of the common thread that runs through all of my stories is teachers willing to sacrifice what they need to do to make sure that kids have the best chance that they that they can possibly have. Yeah. And it's a teacher that changes children's lives no matter what. And I I will say that every single day. So thank you so much for coming on tonight. Everybody go to www.authorrandyoverbeck.com and check out some more of Dr. Randy Overbeck's books. Thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Uh, I've had a great time. Go to theauthorsporch.com. You can also listen to the Authors Porch podcast and all major media platforms and also check out our magazine any time guys we'll see you next time bye dr overbeck see you next time bye everybody bye